Well, we're going to start out the service, this time in the Word this morning, with a little bit of a Bible quiz based on your memory of the Bible, your Bible knowledge. Uh, maybe get your number two pencils ready, those sharpened yellow pencils. Every, the only way you fail this quiz is if you don't take it, all right? So we're going to go through the quiz, just a few questions. You write down your answers or jot them down on your phone, and then we'll go through it again. And hopefully you guys are going to be primed and ready to give me a little bit of feedback. Trust me, it's not going to be that difficult. And despite the subject matter, you are welcome to cheat. If you want to look at your neighbor and get their answers or tell them that's wrong, let me give you the right answer, that's fine, you can do that too. All right, with one word, only one word, I want you to describe these characters in the Old Testament, one by one. Each of them gets one word, okay? So first of all, with one word, how would you describe Adam? All right, Tim, you're not writing down. I thought we were taking a quiz here. <laughs> He's in my small group. I can bust his chops. Um, all right, second second character. One word to describe Abraham. Abraham. One word. What would it be if you're going to describe Job? Sonny's doing it in her head. I can see her thinking. Smoke is coming out her ears. What about Solomon? One word to describe Solomon. Okay, and now one word to describe David. What one word would you use to describe David? All right, let's go back through them. I want to hear what you got. What do you have for, and obviously there's no right or wrong answer. Well, there's probably some wrong answers, but um, what are, what, what's some words that you use to describe Adam? First. First. Who said that over there? Is that Cal? Good man. Yes, that's the one I had, so that surely is right. Any other answers for Adam? Anyone else? Everyone said first, right? Right, everyone said first. Okay, what about Abraham? Loyal? Okay, what else? Trustworthy? Huh? Faithful? Okay, anyone else? Believe? Oh, yeah, that's a good one. I came up with father, but maybe that one's not the best. So, And they're not all alliterated, but all those are good answers. Uh, what about Job? We're all probably going to have the same word for Job, right? What's the word for Job? Patience. Patience. Yeah. Anyone else? Suffering. Suffering. Okay. What about, who is next? Samson. What word do we use to describe Samson? Did I say Samson or not? Oh, I missed Samson. Okay. Solomon. All right. Solomon. We'll go with Solomon. Huh? Wisdom. wisdom. Yes. Wise, wisdom, some variation of that word, no doubt. And now, what's the word that you came up with for David? What word? Sniper. What? Sniper? <laughs> okay, Tim. Any other words? Is that, did everyone say sniper? Was that the word everyone came up with? <laughs> what's that? Pain? King. King. I'm sorry, man. I'm, I'm getting old, I guess. King? <laughs> Was that you again? You're on a different wavelength than me. I don't know. I can never hear her in small group. Uh, what? Any other words? It's harder to come up with a single word for David, isn't it? You know, David is such an amazing character in the Old Testament. So rich. A character. It would be hard to condense him into a sentence or even an essay 
to really capture everything that we know and understand and admire and are perplexed about King David. Um, How would we describe him? He was the quintessential king of Israel. He was a king. And the best king. He was the king by which all other kings were measured. And not only was he a king, but he was a shepherd. Out in the pastures, unseen, he learned to shepherd sheep. And God saw that, and God made him a shepherd of a nation. Not only was David a king, he was a worshiper, a composer. He wrote worship songs that were so intimate, so sacred that demons fled when he played the harp. And he wrote these worship songs born out of the experiences in his life, his troubles, his failures, his repentance, his devotion, his questions, um, his faithfulness. And God used him and used those experiences and breathed God breathed his word through David onto the vellum and he and David composed most of the third largest book in the Bible as Tim mentioned David was a warrior a real warrior as a child he was trained in the shepherd fields to slay lion and bear and still as a lion I'm sorry still as a child he um he showed up the entire Israeli army when he went out on that battlefield and single-handedly, under the power of God, slayed Goliath. And then he took the giant's sword and he used that sword, probably stood as tall as him, he used that the rest of his life as his primary weapon. To the day he died, he was a warrior. And along the way, he... um, gathered to him a collection of misfits who were also great warriors, known as David's mighty men. He was a worshiper. He was a warrior. He was a leader. He was a lover of God and of God's Word. He was blessed to have the legacy that stands today as being a man after God's own heart. Acts chapter 13 and verse 22 says, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do my will. In fact, in 1 Samuel 13, which this is quoting from, uh, it tells us that this was after the failure of Israel's first king, King Saul. God said, your kingdom shall not continue, he says to Saul through Samuel the prophet. Your kingdom shall not continue. Yahweh has sought out a man after his own heart. And he found that man in David. In fact, back in Acts chapter 13, verse 23, it goes on to say, Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as He promised. So the question is, where, where was that promise made? When did that promise actually happen that the Savior would come through uh, David, and the answer is in many places, but um, we see, I think, the first time this covenant is genuinely established in First Chronicles chapter 17. You can turn there if you'd like, but you don't have to. We're not going to spend a lot of time here. But in in First Chronicles 17, you remember the storyline. David tells Nathaniel the prophet, "I've got an idea. I want to build a temple for God. 
I'm living in cedar and our God is still in a tent and that shouldn't be. So I want to build him the grandest, best temple that has ever been built. And initially, Nathaniel says, do it, do whatever your heart says. That's great. And then Nathaniel leaves. And then the Lord speaks to Nathaniel and says, don't, don't be so presumptuous. And God comes back to David with a message. And he says, you want to build me a house? Did I ask you to build me a house? You're not going to build me a house. I'm going to build you a house. And he says, now therefore, thus says, thus says the Lord to the servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, to be a prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you have gone and have cut off all your enemies from before you and I will make for you a name like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall waste them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel and I will subdue all your enemies. Moreover, I declare to you that the Lord will build you a house. When your days are fulfilled to walk with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. I will not take my steadfast love from him as I took it from him who was before you, speaking of Saul, but I will confirm him in my house and in my kingdom forever and his throne shall be established forever. This is a covenant promise God made with David. And in this promise, we see it superficially immediately fulfilled through Solomon who built the temple, but there's some aspects of that prophecy that were not fulfilled in Solomon. Because Solomon's throne is not forever, and the offspring of David is still to come and rule forever. It was speaking of Jesus. Is not Jesus right now building us into a house? A spiritual house. Just as Solomon built the temple, we are being built into a spiritual house. And then the Holy Spirit took this covenant that God made with David and He prophesied using it again and again throughout the prophets to forecast the coming of the Messiah. And what He would do is, He would bring, sometimes it would even blend. Sometimes it would be the offspring of David. Sometimes it would be referred to as uh, the root of Jesse. Sometimes the Messiah would even be referred to as David himself, though David was long dead, because David was such a great image of the Messiah which was to come. And what the Holy Spirit is doing again and again is casting our attention backwards. Look back towards David that we may have our hope forward in Christ. And that's what I want to look at today. And, you know, we're not going to look at a lot of the, we're going to get the grand overarching view of this Davidic imagery of the Messiah today. But then in the coming weeks, just a few weeks, we're going to go back and we're going to look at specific episodes in David's life where we're going to see Jesus in David's calling. We're going to see Jesus in David's shepherding. We're going to see Jesus in David's suffering. We're going to see Jesus in the sacrifice that David made 
for His people. And in these episodes, we're going to see the image of uh, the, the life portrayal of what David did, but we're going to go deeper and we're going to see how all of that was ordained providentially by God through the Holy Spirit to teach us something about Jesus. But today, I invite you to turn to Jeremiah chapter 23 to start with. And we're just going to get this big picture, kind of as big a picture as possible of this Davidic theme. So I invite you to turn to Jeremiah chapter 23. And we're going to be in a few passages. But let's, let's just kind of get the overview first. Jeremiah chapter 23, the prophet says, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Throughout Scripture, God's people have always been referred to as sheep. That's you and me. And the leaders of His people have always been described as shepherds. That imagery continues into the New Testament. In 1 Peter, it talks about Christ is the great shepherd. And pastors and elders are overseers that are the under-shepherds. And so the imagery is consistent throughout God's Word. Is The kings were always referred to as shepherds. And so that is what is being drawn attention to here. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Then I will gather the remnants of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. Behold, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as a king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In in his day, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. So we see the... uh, Messiah is going to be brought up for David in, in, a, in a completion of the promise made to David. And you can see, um, even though this comes some 430 years after David's death, the covenant still remains. And we look in the New Testament, we look in the Gospels, and we see how the apostles and different followers of Christ expected Christ to set up His kingdom right then and there. And we think, oh, they didn't have the spiritual eyes like I have. No, what they had was a better understanding of the Old Testament than you and I have. They were looking at the Old Testament. They had proper expectations based on the prophecies. They just didn't foresee this gap. They didn't foresee that Christ would come and that the kingdom would later come. Christ mentioned, my kingdom is not of this world. Notice also in this passage that He says in verse 2, You have scattered My flock and have driven them away and have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you. Then I will gather the remnant of My flock out of all the countries where I have driven them. And some people look at the this prophecy beginning to be fulfilled at the modern day creation of the nation of Israel when Israel was gathered again back together as a people drawn from all other uh, countries in the world 
And I have to say that I do think God's hand was in that. I think that was miraculous that God's people could retain their cultural and nationalistic identity, having been without a country for generations and generations and hundreds of years. And yet somehow when the land was provided, all the people came. You know, the Hebrew language was one person away. There was two professors that recovered the Hebrew language, the spoken Hebrew language. And they refused, they had a child together, and they refused to speak any other language to that child other than Hebrew because they didn't want the language to be lost. And so I think this was a supernatural gathering. I mean, when's the last time that you ran into an Amalekite or heard on the news anything about the Philistines? Those are people that were here and they were gone, and yet Israel remained. God's people remained and He gathered them in. But in the same way that Solomon was kind of a partial fulfillment of the prophecy, I think that coming together was only the beginning or only a partial fulfillment because we too have now come to Christ. And there's passages that indicate that in Isaiah chapter 55 and I think verse 5. Listen to this passage. Tell me what you think of this. Isaiah 55 5 says, Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel has, for he has glorified you. So it's talking about other nations coming in. Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 13. You see the same thing where a Gentile had faith in Christ. And Jesus said, there's going to be those come from the north, from the east, from the south, from afar. They're going to come to the table and eat with Abraham. And the children of the kingdom will be cast out into eternal darkness. So we see this, um, this introduction that we should anticipate this church that we have where Gentiles are coming in. And so that's also, I think, referenced here in Jeremiah chapter 23. But as we see, he's going to rule, Jesus is going to rule as a king and uh, Judah will dwell in the land securely. Did Jesus fulfill this prophecy when He was here on earth? Not exactly. Not quite completely. He didn't rule as a king. And we see other prophecies in in the Old Testament about that coming of Christ that weren't completed when Christ came to earth the first time. And this is why we await the second coming. Those prophecies are still not spiritually fulfilled in the church. And you go back and you read these prophecies and you see there is something more yet to come. And so we long for the return of Christ. Now, there's a kind of a sister prophecy to this. And perhaps you can turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 34. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. So just go forward a few books to Ezekiel chapter 34. Here in Ezekiel 34, we see a similar prophecy to what was just proclaimed. But in this passage here, I would like uh, to kind of deliver to you three admonitions that are pertinent for us today as we wait for Christ to return, knowing that God's people are still His sheep, and there are shepherds in charge of them. Let's read this passage, um, and and let and I just I want you to receive three admonitions that will be useful for you today. Now, first, let me read it. It's a long passage, but I want to read it in its entirety. Um, Paul Paul instructed Timothy not to neglect the public reading of the scriptures. 
So if you hear, I've just heard this this last week, a pastor say, nowhere in the Bible does it tell us that we need to actually meet together to have church. And Hebrew says specifically, don't neglect the the meeting of yourselves together, the gathering of yourselves together. And then in Timothy it says, don't be devoted to the public reading of scriptures. So I'm going to read. It's a good passage, though. You'll like it. Ezekiel 34. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them... Now listen, let me go ahead and give you the first point of my first admonition before we jump into this because you're going to see it ringing out loud and clear. My admonition to you is look out for these shepherds. Look out for shepherds that are of this variety. They're still around today. And in fact, we're going to see they're getting worse. But if I could just encourage you, look out for these shepherds. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord Yahweh, ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you not have brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with no one to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord Yahweh, surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts since there was no shepherd. And because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of Yahweh. Thus says the Lord Yahweh, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. For thus says the Lord Yahweh, Behold, I, I myself, listen, listen to the protective nature of God. Behold, I, I myself will search out for my sheep and will seek them out as a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered. So will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited place of the country. I will feed them with good pasture. And on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong I will feed. I will feed them in justice. As for you, my flock, thus says the Lord God, We'll stop there. Let's take a moment to just really receive this admonition. Strong words against these shepherds 
that are feeding themselves. Shepherds, I should say, that are still around today. And I warn you to look out for these shepherds. I am not under the impression that I am the only shepherd in this church. You know, Zach, Pastor Zach and I, we take the responsibility of a shepherd very seriously. We pray every day for so many of you by name. We think of what you're going through. We pray for the ministry that God has given to us. But, of course, in Scriptures, there is no distinction that we see in the New Testament between elders and pastors. An elder as a pastor, as an overseer, and our other elders, they take that responsibility very seriously to watch out over each one of you, praying for you, looking out for the affairs of the church, leading us. We're so grateful to have the elders that we have in this church, but none of us are under the illusion that we are your only shepherds. We're living in an age where there's a glut of information and you've got stacks of books on your shelf, and you've got YouTube videos saved of this teacher and that teacher, and you've got favorite sermons, and I've got favorite preachers too. And you have Bible studies, you've got all of this. And I just want to warn you, just because they're coming in the name of the Lord does not mean they are good shepherds. You have to watch out for these kind of shepherds. And we have clues of how to identify them. First of all, they don't feed the sheep. That was this big one. He's like, you're not feeding the sheep. The one primary thing that a shepherd is supposed to do is feed the sheep. And let me tell you, if you listen to a sermon and there's very little reference to the actual Word of God, that should be alarming to you. You should question that teacher. You should question that shepherd. If, you can, if, if the preacher can go on for, for minutes and minutes and minutes and have his Bible sitting down behind him and you never even see it on stage, that's a problem. That's not a shepherd that is feeding the sheep the Word of God. The words of men are puny things. The Word of God is unbreakable. It's a hammer. So we preach the Word of God. Watch out for those that don't preach the Word of God. Not only do they not feed the sheep, we see in verse 3, they profit from the sheep. I, I, I'm, I've learned that you know, the more influence a man has, the bigger target he is. But I just I want, I want you to be careful and wary of pastors that have exorbitant amounts of wealth. I think a lot of pastors today view um, their congregation as a resource to be used, as a commodity to be taken advantage of rather than a sacred obligation to shepherd them. And you see it with these men that they profit from their, from their churches. They sell books and books. They get richer and richer. They have growing and growing influence. They become prestigious. They have their own followers People known by their pastor. That's a dangerous thing. Not only that, but we see in verse 4, the weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought. These are shepherds that don't care for the sheep. They come in, they come out. Either get on board with my agenda or get out. Church is geared completely around the vision of the pastor. That is not a good shepherd. It's from the Word of God. And a good shepherd seeks out those that are hurting, seeks to bind up those who are wounded, seeks to go after those that are lost and wandering away. And so when your elders contact you and they say, hey, how's it going? And you think, oh, I haven't been to church in a couple weeks. 
that's okay. We're not grading you. We just want to make sure. Are you wandering away? Are you alright? We just want to know if there's anything we could do to come alongside you. And we just want to encourage you. This, there's safety in the fold. But a good shepherd looks after those sheep that are lost and wandering. He brings them back. So be on the lookout for these kinds of shepherds. But we see even more explicit instruction in the New Testament. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verses 12 through 14. I think I have a portion of that for you to read on the screen. But listen, listen to the uh, uh, warning here as you look out for these kinds of pastors. Um, uh, let's see, is that 1 Timothy? Maybe that should be 2 Timothy. Do I say Yeah, 2 Timothy. I'm wrong on my notes, right on the overhead. 2 Timothy chapter. 3 verses 12 through 14. And, and this whole context, by the way, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, is about, it's about leadership. And, and you have um, in verse 8, Jonas and Jambres, they're opposed to Moses, kind of usurping his authority. So you have the context of authority. And then look at verse 12. It says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So what are the impostors of? They're impostor leaders, impostor shepherds, impostor men of God that are going to go from bad to worse. They're going to be deceiving and be deceived themselves. Verse 14, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. God's message does not evolve. The Gospel stays true and secure and you need to be firmly attached to it regardless of what happens to these men that go from bad to worse. Another passage, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, same page. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by His appearing in His kingdom. Paul's telling this to a pastor. He says, preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience in teaching. Why? For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And so we look out for these teachers. Again, additionally, 1 Timothy chapter uh, 4, verse 1 and 2. This is scary. Listen to this. this. I have this on the screen for you. This is really scary. I hope you're writing these passages down. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. Watch out for these kinds of shepherds. You've got to be on the lookout for them. Jesus talks about them too in Matthew chapter 24. In verse 24, another passage you might write down, he says that the false Christs and the false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, even if possible, the elect. What are you going to do when you start seeing, as is prophesied by Christ Himself, prophets that are able to do miracles? How are you going to determine whether they're coming from God or coming from the Antichrist? 
2 Thessalonians chapter 2 gives us the same warning and it gives us kind of an exhortation and how to respond to it. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, it says, and with all wicked deception for those who are... Uh, I'm sorry, verse 9. The coming of the lawless, not, lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with the wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. That's the key for us. That's my second admonition to you. Not only look out for these shepherds, but look out for yourselves. When the shepherds have strayed, it's up to you. Individual soul liberty. God's going to hold you accountable before His own Master. Every man stands or falls. And so, as these men go from bad to worse, as we get closer and closer to the end times, as you start to see maybe strange things, miracles being performed, how are you going to determine whether they're coming from God or whether they're in the spirit of the Antichrist. You have to be a lover of the truth. A lover of the truth. You have to know this book above all other books or else you are not going to be equipped to discern between these deceptive spirits that are the teachings of demons that come in the name of the Lord. No pastor is going to get up and say, hey, I got a message from a demon today. They come up and they act all holy and they say... Mm, the Lord told me to tell you guys something. Oh, now you can't disagree with Him. Because He said, this came right from me. That's not, I don't preach that way. I preach from this book. That means you can go to this book and you can vet my sermons or you can toss them based on the Holy Spirit guiding you from this book. you got to know this book. And what happens when the pastors are gone? Maybe, 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 maybe troubling times are going to come. The pastors, pastors will be hauled off. Or maybe worship is illegal. You're trapped in your home. What are you going to do? Who are you going to depend on? You need to be, you need to have holy access to this book. You need to be well versed in it, knowledgeable, ready to divide it. It's up to you to be a lover of the truth. Now we see this the second admonition of mine to look out for yourselves. We see it back in Ezekiel chapter 34 as well. He gives that whole... Uh, he excoriates those wicked shepherds and then he goes on to say, I'm going to do it. I'm going to take care of my sheep. You guys aren't going to do it. And then verse 17, he says, As for you, my flock, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and male goats, it's not enough for you to feed on the good pasture that you must tread down with your feet the rest of the pasture and drink of the clear water that you must muddy the rest of the water with your feet. And must my sheep eat what you have trodden with your feet and drink what you have muddied with your feet? So what is he saying? He's saying, I'm gonna, you may be able to fool everyone else, but you can't fool me. And I'm, when I come, when I shepherd my people, I'm gonna be able to discern between the real sheep and the false sheep, between the true followers and those who are just in it for various motivations. I'm going to be able to tell, Jesus says, who are real lovers of truth and not. Those who hear my voice. You need to be a lover of truth. Lovers of truth live in it. They don't just read the truth, admire it, categorize it, collect it, come to definitive conclusions about it. They practice it. The truth affects how you live, how you vote, how you work, how you serve in the church and in your neighborhood, uh, how you 
handle conflict, how you handle temptation. We must not just be observers of truth, but practitioners of it. So you need to look out for these shepherds. You need to look out for yourselves. I already mentioned it, 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 3 and 4, where it says in the end times, people are going to have itching ears. And what, what are they looking for if they have an itching ear? They want a pastor that's going to scratch it. How many people here have a dog that just loves to be scratched? Oh, my Penelope, she loves it. You go up, and in me, before my fingers even get to her rib cage, her foot starts going like this because it feels so good. Don't be that kind of a churchgoer. Don't be that kind of YouTube church follower. You follow different leaders that just make you feel good about yourself, make you, you know, constantly telling you how worthy you are, how great you are. You need to live up to your greatest potential. Those are itching ears that are getting scratched by lawless men. And it says that they heap up for themselves teachers. Like a, like a hoarder. Oh, all these guys make me feel good. I'm going to pile them up. You need to watch out for those false shepherds. You need to look out for yourselves as well. You need to evaluate these teachers by the Word of God, by truth, by doctrine. You can't trust your gut on it. They seem like nice guys. Don't, don't confuse charisma for character. It's their doctrine, not their clever turn of phrase. It's the fruit of the Spirit. On, I've learned this the hard way again and again. Larry, Larry's told me about this as well. You want to believe the best in people. But he, he's learned and he's taught me and I've seen it. I've made the mistake before. When you don't see the fruit of the Spirit in a man's life, don't trust what he says. It doesn't matter what he says. It doesn't matter how compelling his words are. If you don't see the fruit of the Spirit in his life, that's a red flag. So you need to compare these teachings to the Word of God. And let me, let me encourage you. Man, I'm preaching long today too. I feel, I'm sorry. Last week I preached long too. Let me, you know, I, I've got a bunch of books. Oh, let me grab this one. Whew, that'll wake you up. Sorry, Drew. That was my mistake. <laughs> Whew. Okay. This year's gone. Can't hear anything out of that. All right. Um, the explicit gospel. Follow me. Lord, change me. Not a fan. The pleasures of God. Desiring God. When I don't desire God. John Owen, the death of death. The vision of valley. The complete green letters. All these books, they're great. They're wonderful. Some of them I finished. Some of them I didn't think were so great. But none of them, not one of them, has fed me like this book. Not one of them. And they're shorter. They're, you know, they're easier to get through. But this is so much more nourishing. You gotta come to this. I was just talking to Doug Rush about, you know, he, he, he's a farmer. He irrigates. I said, if you could, how much of your farm is irrigated? He told me some, I can't remember, maybe half he said. I said, if you get it all irrigated, does that mean you don't have to worry about the rain anymore? He said, no, absolutely not. He had it measured down to the percentage of how much better rain is than artificial irrigation. It comes down, he says, the soil is just much better to receive it. He said, you know, when it's hot and you irrigate, a lot of it burns off. The water comes down, coming, it's, it's more oxygenated, better for the roots. All, this is like God's natural rainwater. This is good. It's all right. 
but it's artificial irrigation. It's never going to be as good as this. The same way you, you stand under the shade of a tree. You ever go out to a, to a convention or something like that and they've got the big um, canvases up to provide shade and you stand under a canvas and it's just not as good as when you stand under a tree. God's shade is much better than artificial shade. And listen, they, they say it's like 60% um, cooler because the tree actually, I don't know what the word is, but kind of respirates out. As it gets hotter, more moisture comes off. It cools the air. What I'm saying is these are good, but they're not good enough. They're all right. I'm not, no one's going to blame you for reading these. But this cannot be your only diet. The YouTube sermons can't be your only diet. My sermons cannot be your only diet. You've got to come to the source. You've got to come to the spring of living water. And I'm over on time, but let me give you the last exhortation. And we've been really hitting it throughout this sermon. We need to look out for the, these kinds of shepherds that are warned in, in Ezekiel 34. We need to look out for ourselves. And lastly, look out for Christ. Be on the lookout for Christ. In verse 20 of Ezekiel 34, it says, Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, Behold, I, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep, because you push with side and shoulder. You thrust all the weak with your horns till you have scattered them abroad. I will rescue my flock. They will no longer be a prey. I will judge between sheep and sheep. I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David. This now is 540 years after David's death. So this is David, just the name of David, the person of David is a stand-in for the Messiah, Jesus, that would come. But he says, I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. Brothers and sisters, more than anything, we've got to be on the lookout for Christ. And I, I'm going to ask our worship team to come up because I can't, I can't go on any longer than I have. But I just I want to encourage you. Uh, Matthew, Matthew chapter 24, Jesus talking about the end times and we're growing closer and closer to the end times and we don't know exactly how close we are. But listen what He says. They're, they ask Him, when are the end, what are the signs of the end times? And He gives a whole bunch of descriptions of everything that we read about in Revelation. And in verse 29, He says, Jesus says this, this is red letters, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, the powers of heaven will be shaken, then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And He will send out His angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather His elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. And He goes on to say, Therefore, stay awake. Be alert. And Thessalonians says the same thing to us. It says, you are not of the darkness that it's going to come on you like a thief, but you are children of light. Be alert. Be awake. Be watchful. Guys, the times are going to go from bad to worse. I just want to exhort you. Watch out for those shepherds that feed themselves rather than feed the sheep. Watch out for your own souls. You are responsible for you. And, the, and Christ has equipped you with the Holy Spirit. You have everything you need. It may be intimidating to come to the book, but I'm telling you, just keep going to it. You will be fed. You will learn. You will grow faster than that. 
And be on the lookout for Christ because He's coming. And when He comes, He's going to gather His own to, to Himself. But those who have not let their hearts grow cold, those who have not been deceived, those who are lovers of the truth. So I want to invite you to stand. And we're going to sing uh, an adaptation of an old hymn, Blessed Assurance. And, and ultimately, that's it. That's all you've got. Is Jesus yours or not? You don't have to have all the answers, but all, you do need to know this. Does Jesus belong to you? Do you belong to Jesus? Are you in a state, as the song says, of perfect submission, all is at rest? I, in my Savior, am happy and blessed. Jesus said, in the world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world.